Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Dadsnet Original Podcast. A Dadsnet Original Podcast. I'm Al, that's JK, and this is JK. I was going to say, don't tell him, Al. <laughs> Can't say that. Well, I mean, it costs us a lot to rebrand. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not that anymore. No. Uh, but we are being joined by a very special guest today. And I think that we can both fairly comfortably say that this interview for both of us was more or less a therapy session he is such a lovely guy i told you didn't i when when i said you know he's coming on to, to you know to talk to us to do an interview didn't i say he's one of the loveliest guys yeah. you could possibly yeah. meet and his wife is also one of the loveliest ladies and i've been very fortunate enough to work with both of them well you've been very fortunate enough to hide them both in a house haven't yes you? i did sounds really weird doesn't it i still don't know how that show was aired on the bbc it does sound super creepy Honestly, this guy is such a lovely, lovely guy. One of the most genuine, warm people you could ever meet. And I'm so glad that you're about to hear him as well, because get ready for a therapy There's session. There's so much in there. This, there is so much. I actually came away and actually have spoken about what we discuss in this interview a lot. Have you put it into practice, what he was talking about? Some though? of. Honestly. Uh, let's have a chat to the legendary, and I can say legendary, David Grant. David, thank you so much for chatting to us on the on the podcast today. We are so excited to see you, and it's it's for me it's so lovely to see your face because we we did spend a couple of days together on a kids' TV show, which now just seems a, a distant memory. I'll bet it was fun, wasn't it? How long ago was it? Because for oh. those listening, it was Hyder in the House, JK's kind of number one uh, claim to fame, I, <laughs> I think. But how long ago was it? I think it was 2010. I think it would have been around about then. And what a weird concept yeah. for a kids' TV show where we hid a celebrity in, in someone's house from one of the parents. I mean, thinking about that now, <laughs> that just sounds really yeah, weird. Yeah, that, that wouldn't really fly now. No. <laughs> <laughs> that so wouldn't it's... really fly, but it was it was pretty strange, actually, thinking about it. Yeah, there's a stalker in the house, you'd call it now. Uh, you would. Kids' TV shows, as a general rule, are a little bit... Like, crazy. Like, just, I mean, even the animations, think about Night in the Night Garden. Mad. Yes, yeah. completely. Yeah, but then so this, completely mad. This took it to another level, though. I mean, we, we were getting celebrities to suck smoothie out of socks, and it was called Suck the Sock. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I remember, we, D- David, you were let off lightly. I remember hiding Sean Louis. I didn't in do a, the Suck the Sock. No, that was the first season, which um, I think Jenny Faulkner did. I think Mining Class might have as well. But for season two, <laughs> which was your season, that didn't didn't happen. I also remember that Thank we- God. We, we hid Sean Lloyd, the weather uh, lady, in, in a, I think it was in a house in Wales, and we hid her under a bed, and as she went under the bed, she went, oh, I went, Sean, are you all right? She was like, no, I've just put, put my hand in dog shit. <laughs> it's like, ah! wow. I mean, and, it and, was... And, and we wonder why this isn't a thing anymore. Too many off-com complaints. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It was you know what's even more unbelievable? is that the people who were sleeping in the bed didn't notice the smell of dog shit <laughs> under the bed. That is really unbelievable. Honestly, it's like when you normalise when you normalise the smell of dog shit, you know you need a cleaner. <laughs> 
Sean Lloyd. Sean Lloyd was so traumatized. We had to take it to the pub. Uh, take it to the pub uh, at lunchtime just to get a few glasses of wine down her because bless her, she was not expecting this. <laughs> She was washing her hands for the whole of the rest of the filming, right? Every few minutes, can I have an antiseptic wipe, please? Oh, were, yeah. were the family apologetic about that? I can't even remember. I mean, I think we we just used to get there the night before. We'd, we'd go to the bar with everyone, as, as you did, in, you know, with TV shows and stuff like that. And I just remember always turning up quite hungover, quite not much sleep. And I don't remember much mm. about it, but th- there's a few that stick out. David's episode is one. Sean Lloyd's is another, but yeah, we had some, we had some fun times. We really, really did. You know, you got a problem when you say to the family, your dog has shit under the bed. (laughs) And they say, no, no, he hasn't. They go, yes, he has. No, he hasn't. Look. (laughs) And they look and they go, oh, I thought you meant today. (laughs) Yeah. Or or imagine if they turn around and said, we don't have a dog. (laughs) We don't have a dog. Yeah, that's even worse. We don't. It wasn't the dog. Yeah, it was one of the kids. Yeah. Although oh. to be fair, I, you know, all, all parents here, I much prefer kid poo to dog poo. Hundred percent, all day, every day. Hundred percent. We got dogs for the kids. We have two dogs, and um, the kids asked for years for dogs, and we we stood firm. No, 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 no. No, because you'll never walk them. Yes, we will. You'll never feed them. Yes, we will. You'll never clean them. Yes, we will. You'll never pick up dog poop. Yes, we will. Of course they don't. No, no. But I remember the first time we got dogs, having had four children and having done lots and lots of wiping and changing of nappies and all the rest, you know, just you just get used to it after a while. The first time I had to get a doggy bag and pick up dog poop, I was like, reverse. Pull, tie. I can barely. It's like, look where it is, and then avert your eyes. Yeah, oh, and it's when it's I warm. Just, you're right, and it's warm as well. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Also, can I'm I just used to it now. Walking a dog takes time out your day as well. That's what people forget. It's a good hour, isn't it, to walk a dog? By the time you're out the house and you've walked it and everything like that, it takes time. And that's why you want the, like, no, kids, that's why it's your, you've got hours. I haven't. You should be doing this. Absolutely. I'm time poor. However, yeah, I became, I became sort of like, like, I suppose aware that it gave me a really, really good reason to leave. Mm. Don't tell everyone. It's like, oh, okay, I've got to walk the dog now. (laughs) How long are you going to be, Dad? I don't know. I could be back next week. (laughs) It depends when when everything is just kicking off at home. Oh, yeah. They're not eating their dinner. There's mess everywhere. It's about to be bath time, which you just know is going to be chaotic. That's the moment to go, has anyone walked the dogs today? No. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I had better do it. Yes, oh, yeah, I'll take one for the team. Dog needs a walk. <laughs> dog, will be in, dog will be a nightmare later. Trust me, need, needs to have a walk. Yeah. So when um, Carrie, Carrie actually started saying to me, "Do you do you walk the dogs that long for their benefit or yours? Because I don't <laughs> think they need that long a walk." Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, they do need some exercise yeah. now and again. Yeah. And she said, I've just read about dogs that actually is better to just take them off the lead, let them run around the park for half an hour than to take them for a walk for an hour and a half. And I'd be like, no, I don't believe that that research is, you know, is, is reliable. Yeah. No, I think the hour and a half is an absolute necessity. <laughs> is that the same research which states that all guys should spend a minimum of 40 minutes in the toilet? Is that the same research? I think it must be. Yeah. Yeah. Do I you really need to spend be, but, 40 minutes in the toilet? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, long yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but the reasoning there is like, yeah, but why? I mean, at least you can say, well, the dogs need exercise. I mean, what you, what's, what's your reason for 40 minutes in the bathroom? It just kept Such going. Bad, tell me. Just <laughs> thought, what can I do? What can I do? Anyway, it's, it's funny. It's funny how everything gets better when it's all quiet. Yes. Yes. Indeed. It does. Indeed. It does. But you know what? I, I fear. I fear that there may be men watching this saying, why are you revealing all of this? <laughs> yeah. And the problem yeah, is... They know. Yeah. They know. It's true. They already also, know. We know for a fact that, that mums 
listen to this because they they need to get the scoop on on the dads. So we may have them. So well, let's let's just move on. Let's talk about let's talk about you. Let's talk about your book. Let's talk about your amazing family as well, which revolves around the book. Wow, what an incredible family! Um, I would say that uh, right, we have four children. There is Carrie and I, and we were together for we were together for eight years and married for six before our first child was born. And what I found really interesting about that time, you know, with what I find with the benefit of hindsight is that we weren't really fussed originally as to whether we had children or not. Now, I know for some people, sort of in a way, being in a partnership, one of the purposes is to have children. But that was that was never the case with us. Mm. We were just like, you know, if we have children, great. If we don't have children, great. In fact, I would say that I was fearful of having children for all sorts of reasons. And 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 one of the reasons was that I never expected to be as happy with the one person as I was with Carrie. So I just didn't want to bring any other elements into the equation in case it spoiled the balance of whatever it was we had, because I couldn't quite quantify what it was we had. But sometimes it's only when you lose something or you mess something up that you realize what you had. So I just thought, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's fine as it is. And having a child may change it and not necessarily for the better. And the other thing for me was that I had never witnessed a father in action growing up as, you know, the child of a single parent. So I was pretty convinced that we, well, maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. And no one is more surprised than me that that I'm the father of four children. Wow. Because I felt completely ill-equipped for it, to be honest. So after that first one... And kind of getting, did that kind of um, like put to bed all of those fears and those anxieties and like like the balance was still good and you still loved Carrie the same way as before. And that then meant, okay, great, let's now go to four. <laughs> like, <laughs> you'd, you'd like to think so, but no. I mean, I think that we were just absolutely delighted that we had one and it, it still worked. Yeah. We were like, yeah, but what if we have two? That might be completely different. And I also think, I, I, I don't know if any other fathers will relate to this, because growing up as an only child and not having siblings, I had really close cousins and we'd see each other all the time. They were like brothers and sister to me, but not having people directly living in your house all the time, I kind of felt that child number one would act as some kind of template so when child number one worked, I thought, hey, this works. Yeah. Nailed it. Not realizing that anybody who's got more than one child will tell you, no two are the same. But yeah. I didn't know this until we had two. Yeah. At which point it felt, but, but that was, that was like seven years. It's just like, this works. This works. It's worked for like six and a half years. Maybe we can go for another one. So seven years later, we have a second one. Then it was like, yeah, this is kind of different, but hey-ho, in for a penny, in for a pound. (laughs) So four years later, we had a third. Then it was like, you know what? We don't need to have any more children because there are enough children out there in the world who need a home. Let's adopt a child. And that, that was something we talked about. You know, those early days of a relationship where you talk about things, you know, like you're, you're, you're naming children and you're kind of saying, and this is the, this is the life that we're going to live. And it's all, it's all rubbish, but it's great, you know, because you can fantasize about something that isn't real. One of the things we did talk about in those early days was the idea of adopting and, um, and, you know, like building family um, around children that weren't necessarily carrying our DNA, but who could be part of our family, who could become a family and who would be our children. So that was sort of child number four was uh, we adopted. And it, uh, and we decided we were going to yeah, stop at four because I don't know if this is only me, but there are moments where I feel so overwhelmed and inadequate that you know four is enough for me yeah 
In fact, sometimes I feel so inadequate that four feels like five too many, not because of them, but because of me. Mm, yeah. Did, a lot of people say that once after two, if you have three, then anything goes. If you can cope with three, or you know, is, is if you can cope with two, you may as well just go for more. Or is it if you can cope with three? I can't remember. But did you did you find a similar thing that you like? Actually, do you know what? Now it doesn't matter how many are in the house. We just go with it. Do you know what? Yes. It felt almost like two felt like more than twice the stress of one. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if either of you can relate I've, to that. I've, I've, I, exactly the same for me. Yeah, I've, I've got two. And one, amazing. Second, Tasmanian whirlwind devil. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll start singing Welcome to My World. So (laughs) I do think you just think after a while, listen, do you know what? It's, it's, you might as well, might as well have a football team. It's just like, (laughs) could it be? I can't get more tired. Absolutely. It's impossible to be more tired. Or more busy. Like it's, it's, there's nowhere else I can go like downwards. No. So have another one. Why not? But I mean, do you know I, what? I, I I then passed that stage, oddly enough, and and I got to a stage where I realise now, with the benefit of hindsight, quite honestly, that my children who are now sort of 28, 21, 17 and 13, my children have become my teachers. Yeah. You know, yeah. I there are things about me and things that have evolved in me and a person that I have become that I would never have become without these children. Mm. And it's a person that I like, but I would never have become without these children. Yeah. What have they taught you? Um, they've taught me the, they've taught me flexibility. They've taught me emotional and mental flexibility. They have taught me that children aren't just an, an they aren't just a combination of the DNA of both their parents. They are fully their own people and that you can lead and guide and you can direct, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be anything alike. You know, I'm sure if you spoke to our four children separately in separate rooms about their, their experience of growing up in our house, you would feel like you were speaking to people who grew up in four different families (laughs) because Actually, I've learned, I've learned that parenting is bespoke. I only ever witnessed one parent, well, two really, because I grew up with my grandmother, but one parent as such, parenting one child, and that was me. And I also witnessed with family and friends um, where there were multiple children. I witnessed parents parenting children according to specific principles so that each child would get parented the same and then wondering why and me wondering why at the time that didn't necessarily work for all the children and what I discovered is that each each individual is just that an individual and if I'm going to be a good dad which I really really want to be even though I have no template that shows me what a good dad is I only had a template that showed me what a bad dad wasn't or what a, what a good dad wasn't, if you yeah. like. Um, I think that for me, being a good father, a good dad to my kids, and I'll explain why I use that word in a minute, a good dad to my kids means discovering who they are and parenting that person yeah. rather than defining what I want them to be and trying to parent them into being the person I want them to be. Yeah. And the reason I say dad rather than father is because you know what? You can be a father by accident, but everybody who's a dad is a dad by choice. Yeah. 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 I, I think that that definition of a good father is not spoken about enough. And I, the reason why is what you've just described and I'm speaking, I guess, a little bit personally here. So it might be different for, for other people. But I find that the hardest part of, of being dad. Because when you look at your child and you think, oh, I want everything to be okay for you. 
So if you just do what I say or do what I think is the right thing, it will be okay. Like school will be easier. Making friends will be easier. Like I, I can, and, I, and this is very you know specific to how I'm thinking about my, my youngest son, Ted. You know, there's this element. Whereas he has to make his own way and he has to make his own choices and be his own person at the same time as, as he's doing that, I'm going, ah, like it would be easier if you did it like this. <laughs> and, yes. and that's the hardest thing I find. And you're absolutely right. It's almost like there's a part of you that wants to cram the decades of living that you've had into the mind of somebody who hasn't had those decades, mm. because, you know, you want to say, don't make these mistakes. And if you just do it this way, you're going to have this outcome. Mm. But it's easy to forget that we only learn that by making those mistakes. Yeah. 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 My grandmother used to tell me that the difference between a wise person and a fool is that the wise person's probably made exactly the number, the amount of mistakes and probably more than the fool, but not as frequently. <laughs> yes. You I'm going to give make you a mistake. I'm... You learn from it, you move on. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, everything we've just talked about there, I'm going to give you an example of why, how I feel that this is probably what we've just talked about. So um, Noah, my eldest, uh, played football for a bit. I was a massive football fan. I played a lot of football at, at school. He he played football, didn't like it. He does Irish dancing. He does um, a, a theatre called Harlequins. So he loves performing and stuff like that. So that's an element of, okay, he's found his own way. He loves his dancing. He loves that. And I love that about him, his in individuality. But what I do like is, and he's obviously seen me do this with, with Charlie, my wife, his mum, and that every single night when he comes home from school, when they get out the car before they come in the house, you'll see Luna, my youngest girl, walking up the step carefree with hands like this going, la, 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 la. And you'll see Noah with her bag, <laughs> her coat, his coat, uh, you know, her coat and scarves and lunch boxes. And he, he can't see as he walks through the door. And that for me, I think sums up what we've just talked about. He's found his own way. He knows what he wants to do, but he's still got found those values or seen something from me taking all the stuff in and the shopping when we go out and stuff. And that's what I love about family life, children and how they learn and, and how they find their own way. It's something really, really special. Yeah, it's it's almost like you you don't realize how much almost everything you do is setting an example. I certainly didn't. And you know, I, I would say that for years of of fathering, I mean, I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't say because it, it it doesn't chime very well, but it's my lived reality and I've got lots of friends who are dads and and they they sort of like concur with this in a way. For years of fathering, I have had periods where I've just thought, I just don't want to do this. Mm. I just don't think I can do this. I just don't think I'm up to the task. I just, mm. You know, and I think that something that I've realized, and I would say maybe learned, is that is that nobody is. Mm. Nobody is. And and that fear of making mistakes and that fear of being wrong can be crippling. It can be paralyzing. And I think that you don't realize, like you just said, JK, your kid is mirroring something that he's seen from you that you probably didn't even realize was being taken in. Not one bit. And, 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 that is as much parenting as sort of knowing the answers when you actually don't think you know the answers mm. or being equal to the task when you don't think you're being equal to the task. I think that so much of being a dad is just being. Yeah. It's yeah. just presence. It's being. Because I know, for instance, lots of people who grew up with dads who say, yeah, my, my dad was out of work because in a previous generation, being a good father um, it equated to putting food on the table, keeping a roof over your head. And whether you were present or not in terms yeah. of emotionally present was was irrelevant. It wasn't yeah. even part of the equation. 
And I think that hopefully we, we've moved beyond that to a point where we can say that, you know, we won't be a generation, I hope, where our children, when they're our age, will look back and say, I didn't really know my dad. You know, yeah. he, was, he always did the things that dads were supposed to do. Mm. He was strong. He was solid. He was consistent. We never went without. And if we did, we knew that dad was working his socks off to make sure that we did. But we never had a conversation. Never saw him cry. I don't remember. Never saw him cry. Yeah. Never saw him be real. Never saw him feeling or expressing that he didn't know. You know, there are three words that so many people never heard their dad say, and that is, I don't know. Yeah. And the other one is, sorry, I yeah, got it I wrong. Say, I don't know all the time. <laughs> Me too. I say sorry all the time. Yeah. Because I had an example of a mother who'd say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. And I say that to my kids, which is why I think in a way, when I say no, I think I'm right which I don't often say, um, but if we get to a, if we get into that kind of conversation, they give it a little bit more headspace because they know that if I'm wrong, they won't have to come to me and say, dad, you were wrong. I'll go to them and say, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. You were right about this. And this is all, is this the kind of of stuff that will, we'll sort of see in your book. Do you talk about this sort of thing or what? what oh, we talk, there's a, there's a whole chapter on failure. And I think it's really important because I think that, you know, when, when dads talk among dads, one of the things that does come out is just how much, how difficult it is because each child is different to define success. It's not even like there's a mark and I've, I've, I've measured up to it. So I know I'm a successful dad. How do you even know? And people say, well, you know, you're a successful dad by how your kids turn out. But then if, if by the, the same token, you're accepting that each child is individual. What you are then saying is each child is individual. Each child has their own, their own agency. Each child becomes themselves, but the themselves that they become is down to me. And I don't believe that. Mm. Otherwise, every child in any family situation would turn out the same. Mm. So the Smith family, you know, they've got four kids. All of those kids are turn out the same. The, the Jones family, they've got two kids. Both of them will turn out the same. But we know that never happens. No. And so... How do you measure whether you are a good dad? I think you can only measure it in presence, as in I am present rather than I gave you a present. <laughs> you can only measure it in presence and in love. Yeah. Our, our eldest went to, um, uh, we just couldn't get him into, well, the school that they could get into was just not, not, not good for their personality, our eldest. So they went to an independent school. The others didn't. The others all went to state school. But what it gave me an opportunity to see that I'd never known before, and you know, until they were 11, which is, you know, we're talking about 16, 17 years ago now. But it gave me an opportunity to see something that I had been mistaken about. And that is that I felt that provision was was a really important part of being a good dad. And up to a point... It is. But I grew up working class, which means that mums worked and dads worked. It wasn't just, you know, father works and mum stays at home. Um, Only middle class families could afford that when I was growing up. You know, working class people were called working class because, you know, the clues in the name, everybody worked. Yeah. Because everybody had to. Yeah, yeah. But what I noted was Olive, her eldest was not among the most affluent people in the school. Far from it. There were people who, they'd see their parents on holidays and their parents would fly in by helicopter and, you know, come and visit the school and all that kind of stuff. But what I noticed is that there are many, many people who have the material 
the material wealth, if you like, or the material provision that I grew up thinking I needed to be able to provide to be a good dad who have next to no relationship with their parents. They see them occasionally. They see them sparingly. um, They see them on holidays. And it's almost as though, it's almost as though they're so poor, all they've got is money. Mm. And that changed my, my outlook and it changed my perspective and my understanding of parenting because It was like, if you provide your kid with every advantage that money can buy without love or without the kind of the presence, without in any way them knowing that they are affirmed, that they're believed in, that they're understood, that that they're taken pride in, then they're, they're no better off than if they had no food on the table, but your presence and your love. You know, it's 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 really strange. I think that for some of us, we have grown up believing that that maybe providing is the be all and end all. And, and, I, don't, and I, don't, I don't think it is. No, and that's um, that's a mindset of the olden days. Like that's how, like my pet, my parents' generation. That that's how their belief so you know the book's titled the modern family the very modern family Mm. this kind of new way of thinking or you know parenting 2.0 or or whatever is the the theme throughout the whole book yes what's the what's your hope for the book like what what's you know it's not an, an entertainment story what's your another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Hope well, it's not it's not an entertainment story, but hopefully it is entertaining yeah, as well. Yeah, but I tell you what, I tell you what, it's it's the it's it's that we were thrust into having to be different parents to the parents we thought we would have to be. Um, you know, our, our middle two children are on the autism spectrum. Our eldest has ADHD. Um, our youngest has, um, something called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Um, it's, and, and, and we've got four children and seven special needs. So what that meant to us is, oh my goodness, we're going to have to find out who our kids are. We're going to have to come up with strategies. What works today probably won't work tomorrow. And it doesn't. And as I said in the book, every time I find an answer to the question, they change the question. So it's meant that we've had to be sort of like really nimble. And I think that a lot of parents are. Our children are growing up in a world that bears no resemblance to the world we grew up in. Our children are growing up in a world where if they're bullied at school, if they have a device, they're taking that bullying home. It's with them 24 seven. Our kids are growing up in a world where they are subject to influences so far outside our family and often outside our scope of experience that we need to be ready for that somehow and aware of that somehow and fleet footed enough to be able to make what we're pouring into our kids the predominant influence. And not believe that, you know, if we shut off their exposure to the outside world, which we can't, by the way, that somehow everything's going to be all right, because it's not. So what we have to do is to find methods, is to find strategies, is to, and we, we come up with loads of them in the book. But what we also come up with is 
is the route by which we've arrived at these, which is failing, which is trying this. This works. No, it doesn't. It worked with one kid. It won't work with another. How about this? This really worked last week. They loved it. It's not working now. You know, so all of the issues that people are wrestling with in society, which is, you know, in, in our case, or many of the issues, the neurodivergent issues, um, and how that plays out in school, and how that plays out in the workplace, and how that means that if your child has neurological differences, that you have to address that and 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 prepare them for the world and prepare the world for them. Um, we have a child who's trans. That's a big issue at the moment. It's a big talking point. So how do you prepare them for that? When you look at the fact that, you know, one in, I think the statistic is now one to two in 100 people are intersex at birth meaning that it, it's impossible to determine, you know, their exact sexuality and their exact gender at birth. So when you, you, if you, if you spread that over Britain and our population, that's the entire population of Birmingham, or that's the combined population of Manchester and Liverpool. You're not talking about a small thing. You're not talking about something that that hasn't previously existed. And we're saying once you step outside of a culture war, and you look at your child, if your child has a challenge, whether, and, and I'm saying challenge because it's a challenge sometimes for the world, not necessarily for that child and not necessarily for you. How do you, as a parent, prepare your child for the world and prepare the world for your child without asking them to be or requiring them to be something and someone? They're not. How do you raise them to be healthy individuals whilst at the same time allowing uh, their individuality to be expressed and discovering their individuality? Yeah. So there's a lot of that in the book. I mean, there's an old proverb that I grew up being told, which is uh, is actually in the book of Proverbs in the Bible, which says, bring a child up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't, they won't stray from it. Now that used to be taken to mean, you tell a child what the boundaries are. You tell them what the guidelines are, which you do. And when they grow up, they'll keep those boundaries and guidelines. Now, we all know I certainly don't live the same life that my parents live. You know, their mores, their values, their boundaries, their guidelines, the things that they felt were socially acceptable and socially unacceptable, totally do not apply to my life in any way. What it actually means is if you discover who your child is and you encourage them in who they are, they'll have the confidence to live as who they are. So if somebody says, you know what, you may be a brilliant entertainer, JK, you may have great people skills, you may be fantastic in front of camera, but the family have an accountancy firm and you are going to be the next partner in it. <laughs> that destroys whatever individuality you may have. Yeah. You know, because nobody discovers your dream, your talent, your orientation, your drive. What is it that makes your heart sing and mm. encourages that in you, regardless of what the world may say about it? Because that's you. And that's how you're going to live your best life. That's how you're going to make your best contribution to the world. And that's how you are going to be the individual that you are. And the world needs all of us being who we are. Mm. And it, that's yeah. exactly what happened to me as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I, we mentioned this quite a bit on the podcast. Didn't know, didn't know if you know Albert. I'm a farmer's boy. Um, but that's you know we were <laughs> every time. <laughs> but you know, my family grew up as as farmers. We left the farm. I think I think I wanted to be an agricultural mechanic, but I knew deep down that I loved radio. You know, I loved TV. So you're right. I found. Yeah. I found my own way and no one else in my family, you know, would ever would want to do what I do, you know, but I think you're right. This is, this is the way now we have to, whatever, whatever they want, we've got to try and guide them as best we can in that direction. You know, they, they have dreams like we had dreams. Absolutely. I'm interested to know your thoughts, David, on, um, you know, we, I remember doing, um, an introductory A-level, um, in psychology and like nature versus nurture is this, that's the debate. 
where do you stand on like, because some people will say that our kids turn out because of nature. That's who they are. That's what they're going to be. And you can't really do anything to kind of stop that. You can hinder it, I suppose. But it's, and then some people will say, that's all nurture. Like it's all, we, we can, I guess, form the children. Now I know, I mean, most people will probably go, it's probably a bit of both. But where do you kind of, how do you see that nature versus nurture that's really out. that is really interesting because i've i've sort of like looked at this a lot and one of the things again you know we talk about things that we've learned i truly believed when i was growing up that if a child was brought up in a certain way they turn out a certain way mm. you know and i don't necess- i don't believe that now what i believe is that we have to love our children and accept that there is within each person, each individual, you, me, there's a certain thing that makes us us. Now, let's talk about nature and nurture in the context of that statement. Statistically, if somebody has violence in their family, there is a statistical well, statistically, they're more liable to be violent or to express themselves in violent ways. Now, that may be because they've seen, they've witnessed violence at home, in which case you're saying it's nurture. Or it may be that they never have, but it's just in them, in which case it's nature. And we we, we have seen examples of that. It may also be that, you know, kindness I don't know that kindness is inherited any more than talent is inherited. I think you can model kindness and someone will act and perform acts of kindness without necessarily being a kind person. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like like saying bad people, bad people can do good things. Yeah. Mm. We're all really nuanced. Good people do bad things. I I think I'm a good person. I've done loads of bad things, but I've also known people who others would look at and go, intrinsically, that person is not a nice person. Every now and again, do something really wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I can, I can, just because, you know, I'm, well, obviously, the, 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 the business that, that I've been in for the last, 32 years you know you've been in this industry for for quite a while as well and I can hand on heart say that I was you know at times a knob you know an absolute knob it might you know it probably went we to my head were, a little mate. bit we you all know? were but we but we <laughs> were that. but and and Al can well Al can, still thinks that I am which is fair enough I suppose but <laughs> I now look at where I was then and where I am now with a wife and two children and a really mad cocker spaniel and I can I I think I am the <laughs> the best I've ever been because I've been a knob <laughs> and I know what, yes. you know, what happened because of my, my actions. And I can now, and going back to, I think this, this will wrap it up in, in, in a nice way, but I can say to my son now, right. Bit of Xbox, you know, you've done your homework. That's fantastic. Let's do, let's do FIFA. You know, I, I'm quite good at FIFA. Let's do FIFA. And he's like, no daddy, I don't want to do FIFA. You know, I'll do Sonic or I do Minecraft, but I'm, I'm not doing FIFA. And that's what I love. He's It's me that wants to do that, but he's going, no, no. This is what I want. I've given you two options. Which one do you want to go for? And I think that's where I, growing up, I didn't have that. You know, it was this or nothing. And now no, he's telling me what he right. wants. Yeah, because you've you've hit something, JK, and, and I'm sure you, you're going to concur with this, Al, that actually... Not growing up with a dad was an advantage for me in in the long run. In that you sound, JK, like you have just described the dad you wanted. Yes. And every now and again, when I'm stuck, I actually will sit down. And Carrie and I, we have this great thing. We'll say, oh, let's take a beat. What do we want the outcome to be of this? And at those moments, I think... When I was a child, what would I have wanted my dad to say to me now when I'm raging or when I'm being completely unreasonable or, you know, when I'm feeling sad, when I'm, I'm feeling like I'm the autistic kid, I've got no friends, nobody likes me. 
Would I want them to say, no, son, everybody likes you. You're really lovely. Or would I want them to just sit with me in it? And I want to be the dad that I would have wanted. Mm. And one of the things that, you know, we do with our kids with that is that we started this thing called NBR and uh, nonviolent resistance. And one of the things it's really worked out well is to stop denying their lived experience. So our kid, all right. In fact, we had two of them that were like this. I don't want to go to school. Why? Everybody hates me. Teacher hates me. The kids hate me. Oh, they don't. Honestly, teacher says such great things about you. Come on. I drag them into the car, take them to the school. Go, I don't want to go in. Everybody there hates me. No, they don't. You're going in now. Here I am traumatizing my kid, not realizing it until later. Mm. Then we started doing this thing. I don't want to go in. Everybody hates me. You don't want to go in because everybody hates you. That's right. The teacher hates me. The teacher hates you. Yes. All right. See ya. Because <laughs> suddenly it's like they've been heard. Yeah. They don't have dad denying their feelings. And do you know what? Sometimes it's lived experience and sometimes it's feelings. And when you're a child, I think it's very difficult to tell one from the other sometimes. But the fact is, I started validating what they were saying rather than contradicting it because I know better. I started validating it and they would just go with it because, you know, oh, it's not that I don't want to go to school. I just want someone to know and understand how I feel. And you're just repeating what I'm saying. They didn't even think you're just repeating what I'm saying. They were like, yeah, you're, you're mirroring me. You get it. And it, it was transformative. Yeah. Because I realized I was actually pushing the kids and going, I was more afraid of the school and the attendance officer than I was protective of how my child was feeling. Mm. At the point yeah. that I got to be protective of how my child was feeling. You know, I remember one, once we were on our way with Thailand, I was on my way up to Hollyoaks, the audition. And Thailand's autistic. Thailand had a meltdown. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't remember the lines. I can't do it. I'm going to be terrible. I don't want to do it. And I said, you don't want to do it. Let's go home. No, but no, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do it. I want to do it. But I'm supposed to, it's just like, hold on a minute. All I'm doing is I'm just acting as a sounding board. Now you're talking yeah. yourself into it. How does that play out? Cause it, you've, you've painted it in the, in it kind of working. <laughs> yeah. How does that play out? Now I'm in this, I've been, I'm in this situation right now. He says, I don't want to go to school. He says that no one likes him. He says he walks around on his own at playtime and he, and, and there's no one to play with. So he just kicks a stone on his own. Yes. That's what he says. Teachers say something different. So I've been there and, and they think, oh no, the teachers say you fine and you do get on with everyone. Yes. If, so I, and, and I, maybe I have, you know, sometimes tried, Okay, I'm listening. I mean, okay, that's how you feel. What if he then just goes, great, I'll stay at home? <laughs> that's a really interesting one as well, because, you know, we've had that, I'll stay at home. And it was, it was, it was sort of like trying to find the balance is sometimes hard. But I think that what we found mostly was the incredible impact of just being heard, of... I'm not saying you can stay at home, but I am saying to you, I get it. And I'm not even saying this is how you feel, even though this is how you feel. But if you say nobody talks to me and I go, it's really bad, isn't it? Nobody talks to you. And all of my friends, the people I thought were my friends, they don't want to play with me. And it's like, yeah, you thought you had friends and, and now they don't want to play with you. And it's it's like you run out of steam. They run out of steam after a while. But also, as you're saying that, because they're, they're looking I, for pushback, and what they're getting is I'm pushing, and I'm going, yeah, okay. But can can we all? As as you were saying that, you transported me back to school, 
And there were days I didn't want to go in. I remember not wanting to go on a school trip once. And my granddad saying, mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to go on a school trip, don't let him go on a school trip. I actually used to go to my granddad's first before I went to school. My granddad was like, and if he doesn't want to yes. go, he doesn't want to go. There's obviously a reason he doesn't want to go. And my mum was going, no, he's going, he's going. So we've all kind of been there. And I think you're right, mm. not just children, but as adults, sometimes we just want to be heard. That's it. Yes. That's it. I know, I know that there are times that I say to Carrie, I really don't want to do this job. It's really going to be awful. And when I get the, you know, you're going to be great, blah, 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 you know, I, I, I'm like, you're just not hearing me. You're just not hearing me. I'm not telling you I'm not going to be great. I'm not even telling you I'm not going. Of course I'm going to go. I'm a professional. Yeah. I'm just telling you I'm not feeling it. And if somebody says to you, you're exhausted, aren't you? Yes. You really, it's, it's not flowing today. You're really, it's really going to be hard, isn't it for you? Yes. And you don't want to go. Yes. But what do you want to eat when you come back? Oh, do you know what I'd like? like, (laughs) We do that to one another because we both know we're going to go. And with the kids, they know nine times out of 10, they're going to go. Obviously there are going to be people um, watching this, listening to this, whose children are school refusers. And I know that certainly you know, that that's a big deal because they just feel that nobody gets them, because they feel that nobody understands them. All I'm saying is that if they feel the world out there doesn't understand them, it's important that they also feel the world in here, here being home, does. Yeah. I think that's a that's a good time to to wrap this up. That's That's really nice. And... Wow. What oh, a fantastic. Oh, we'll be doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, but, sorry, but I, this... just, I thought I was in some sort of amazing therapy session. Oh, but can I, I just really say, good. This, this is right. I've done a lot of interviews in my time, as, as David would have as well. And this is what I believe an interview should be. Yes, David's got an amazing book out, which is called A Very Modern Family. But you've had a taster of what you're going to read when you pick up that book or when you hear the audio book, which I'm sure there is going to be one. And, and David's voice is, is, yes. is lovely and, yes. and, 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 and warm. You've just had a brilliant, you may have actually, you probably just had half the book, but there it is. That's what you're going to get <laughs> if you read that book. And no, that's just, why I think these you things just are just had really half important. a chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Without the hydro well, in the well, house. Well, in that case, David, this thing I've got to 11 o'clock next week. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> oh, David, it's been so Guys, nice. Guys, thank you, you so again. much. Really has. Thank Lovely. you. Dadsnet Original Podcast.